Welcome to the Inside Sales Enablement Podcast. Where has the profession been? Where is it now? And where is it heading? What does it mean to you, your company, other functions, the market? Find out here. Join the founding father of the sales enablement profession, Scott Santucci, and trailblazer Brian Lambert as they take you behind the scenes of the birth of an industry. The Inside Sales Enablement Podcast starts now. I'm Scott Santucci. I'm Brian Lambert, and we are the Sales Enablement Insiders. Our podcast is for sales enablement leaders looking to elevate their function, expand their sphere of influence, and increase the span of control within their companies. Together, Brian and I have worked on over 100 different kinds of sales enablement initiatives as analysts, consultants, or practitioners. We've learned the hard way what works, and maybe what's more important, what doesn't. That's right. And our focus is on you as a sales enablement leader and orchestrator who operates in the, in the gap between strategy and tactics and must blend those together to drive outcomes. Our goal is to help you clarify what works and also clarify the measures of success so you can engage up, down, and across your organization. As always, we start with a centering story. Scott, what do you have for us? Okay, well, here's our centering story. Have you ever heard of Gregor Johan Metal? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, uh, if, if, if you were in uh, the genetics business, you probably definitely would know who this is. Gregor uh, Johan Metal was actually a friar, a, um, a church. Like a Robin Augustinian, Hood. Uh, from the Augustinian sect. And between 1856 and 1863, he did a lot of experiments with pea plants. Pea plants. And uh, what he would do is he would observe these pea plants. I guess, when you're a, I guess when you're a friar, you have to do a lot of soul searching and maybe you're not allowed to talk. So you occupy yourself with making good observations and the like. But what he would do is he would uh, watch his pea plants grow and he would chart, make lots of very detailed observations uh, on plant height, their shape and their color, the shape of the seed and the color of those seeds, their flowering uh, positions and color. And I bet in 1856, a lot of people thought this guy was crazy. <laughs> what the heck are you doing? That's a lot of data to be collecting about stuff that's growing. But the major, uh, the major aha that happened here was towards the end, he, he made this observation that when he would uh, pair or mate, bring together pea plants, that had yellow seeds versus ones that had green seeds, 100% of the time, the ones with the yellow seeds would be the ones that were, would dominate. So they would produce more and more yellow-seeded pea plants. So that was pretty interesting. He came up with this idea of recessant and dominant traits of based of an observation. And that work wow. didn't get picked up for 30 years later. And then what happened then is that became the boom of what we now know as genetics. And today that's gone so far is that a pharmaceutical company can take, um, can extract an enzyme from you, Brian, and they own the intellectual property of that because they've done the extraction, even though you're, you biologically produced it. So that's how far we've come with genetics in a relatively short, short time span. And we have uh, this guy, Gregor Johan Metal, who made lots and lots and lots of observations uh, to help us through that. There you go. That's awesome. And I think friars are also the ones that came up with beer, but I'm not sure. Maybe they came through the same process of, of lots and lots and lots of trial and error. 
<laughs> to figure that out. But I got to ask you, so what? So what? So what does that have to do with sales enablement? So, so what, what that has to do is today's theme and today's, uh, today's topic is really where is sales enablement heading? And we have this um, belief inside businesses to follow best practices. And we rarely question where those best practices come from. So we have a tendency to repeat the same things over and over and over again. And there's a quote that I love from Mark Twain. It ain't what you don't know that gets you in trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. So with that, what we want to highlight, and I'm interested, uh, I'm really excited to share with our, our special guest is, as most of our listeners know, we've taken on the, the biggest amount uh, and the most in-depth post-COVID research about where sales and a sales and a one's going. As you know, we did over 100 surveys. Uh, we interviewed 43 people. Uh, we've done six panel conversations, all of which you can go back and listen to today and watch those observations from, from the plants and how things are growing. And we've done four high-quality webinars. Uh, and what, I'm, what, what I had the luxury to do is I got the chance to interview several of the CEOs of the leading technology companies. And joining us is Louie. I'm not even going to try to pronounce your, your, your last name. You can do it for us. Who's the president and founder of Showpad. Louis, would you care to introduce yourself? Absolutely, Scott, and thanks for inviting me for this uh, podcast. So it's Louis Jonkier, but it's, it's, I mean, it's impossible to pronounce in English, so it's Jonkier is fine. Um, but, but yeah, I, I mean, I have a running joke in the company with our, with our team in the U.S. that if they uh, pronounce my name correctly, they get uh, access to President's Club by default, and so far, that never happened. So, uh, but uh, great to be here. So founder, uh, president of Showpad, started the company uh, a bit over nine years ago, I mean, we've been in the market, have seen sales enablement evolve from uh, a very small tactical program in a, in a sales or marketing organization to becoming a real uh, platform for change and uh, revenue in, uh, in the market today. So super excited to be here. I'm excited well, to have you too. Go yeah, ahead, so, sorry to interrupt, but I got to, is, so is Louis, is he a pea plant or what is he on this analogy that you brought in? Is well, he, he's, he's he, a fellow fryer. He's uh, a fellow fryer. Okay. Awesome. I'd never call a guest. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but as a, as a fellow fryer, what, what we wanted to connect the dots to is having been a participant in, in that research, what was really great about uh, Louis is just how engaged he got in, in the process and how fun our conversations have been. And it's so rare for any, any market to get the perspective of a C, uh, of a, a executive leader, president uh, of a company, and what we have to re keep in mind is think of the things that um, that Louis has to keep in mind of. He's got investors; he has has to make happy, which of course want more money from you. He's got customers that he needs to make happy, and he needs to think about what uh, what the products and services, the combinations of products and services are that are need. And we really connected a lot in terms of the, the, the research process and really identified that there's a really fantastic opportunity for uh, sales enablement to lead some, some big transformations. And that's, that's really the conversation or the connection point that, uh, that I wanted to share. So with that as a segue, we, I have a, a few uh, talking points to get into. Louis, so what did you think of uh, the, the post-COVID research that we did? Why were you so engaged with it? 
Yeah, I mean, because I think that there's, um, so, so first of all, like I think any, any industry needs solid research to understand what's happening and where the trends are going. So, so research is super important. I think given the current times and I think there's like two big um, events that are coming together, I think on, on the one hand, you obviously have the pandemic who really uh, changed drastically how uh, businesses think about engaging their customers, about how they go to market, about their value proposition. So I think on the one hand, that is really shaking up at the world and, and, and businesses as we know it. So it's a perfect timing uh, to understand with research uh, what, what change is this triggering and because there's definitely change out there in the market, but like, what is it exactly? And I think measuring that, researching that is super important. And then secondly, I think specifically to sales enablement, like we already were at a point where like sales enablement is undergoing a drastic transformation. And I think what uh, COVID definitely showed is, is are, are the strengths, the weaknesses and the opportunities for sales enablement as we know it. So I think in that perspective, your research is uh, extremely important for this category. So one of the things then is uh, to put some context around that. Do you think that COVID was in upon itself an event to respond to, or did it just highlight and um, uh, exasperate fundamental changes that were already occurring and it just exposed them? Uh, it, it exposed them. For example, it exposed how badly organized uh, revenue organizations are in companies. It exposed how poor uh, messaging is of many companies out there. It exposed how poor uh, alignment there is between sales, marketing, service, and customer success organizations. So I think it highlighted what many of us already were seeing. Uh, and I think it's, it's overall a really good thing for this industry. But yes, it exposed what sales enablement is trying to or will eventually change. So I think that's really important because um, what Louis has the luxury of being able to do is to look at a market in its, in, in its totality like uh, in, in a holism standpoint. And most of our listeners work inside companies. So we work in individual departments. So we see maybe different colored glass of the stained glass window. And Louis has the opportunity to see the entire stained glass window. And he's got, uh, you know, individual customers to, to highlight too. So if, if the sales enablement market is going through a shape, shake up or transformation or whatever you want to call it, what do you see? Let's give some descriptors to that. Let, let's make it more tangible. Absolutely. I mean, if you look at, at, at sales enablement in the last, I would say, like, like, like 10 years, I think that uh, about 10 years ago, that's when the term sales enablement to practice started to become um, a thing. Um, I would say like, like to, to, to simplify it, it either started from um, a marketing team or a content team saying like, hey, we need to have a better way to deliver content to a sales team to make them more productive or it came from a training department that said like, look, we need to make our sales training much more tailored, much more micro, much more effective. And in lots of companies out there, if you ask them what sales enablement is, in most of the scenarios, you will either hear a content story or you will hear a training story. And that is how it, how it evolved uh, or how it started, sorry, in, 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 in the last 10 years. I think where I'm now seeing a change happening, and I think like that is exactly what COVID uh, highlights. I mean, for a customer, there's no sales team. For a customer, there's no marketing team. There's no services team. There's the company they're doing business with. And uh, I think what we're going to see with sales enablement that it is not going to start from, hey, I want to solve a content problem or I want to solve a training problem. No, it's about making sure that you can have as many qualitative engagements orchestrated with your customer 
uh, as possible that really drive growth, that drive success. And I think the big change we're going to see is that sales enablement will start from the customer. And uh, I have a strong belief that that sales enablement platform, that sales enablement technology should start with listen to what the customer is saying. And a lot of the engagement we have today is virtual and virtual meetings, email, virtual collaboration. And I think if, if marketing, if sales enablement is creating messaging, if they're creating content, that it all starts with building that message, building that content based on real customer conversations. I think there's a lot of opportunity for organizations to start to craft their value propositions, their messaging, their content in a very strong way on what they hear from customers. And then uh, in the past, I mean, this has been a huge challenge. And uh, like Scott, we've talked about this, right? Like you asked me the question in, in one of our first conversations, like who really knows the customer? Yeah. Um, yeah. Very little executives out there own the customer and like not many companies truly understand uh, what their customer is saying. So, uh, so, so and I remember that that was a great discussion we had, Scott. Uh, yeah. I, I, and, and I wish that this were a video so that we could show the whiteboarding that we yeah definitely get into, but let, let me help paint a picture, a mental picture if you're listening. Yes. So uh, I, I love, let's, let's start, start with the origin. So 10 years ago, so the origin story of our hero's journey, right? A sales enablement professional starts off as, uh, hey, you've been tapped on the back to go fix something broken. These are my words. This is the way that I, I describe it, but it's very similar to the way uh, Louis depicted it, which is, hey, I'm tapping on the shoulder, something's broken, and um, we're going to fix a misalignment between, say, sales and human resources that typically deals around with training, probably onboarding or um, learning how to sell the value, something like that. Another top on the shoulder is it's in marketing. And uh, boy, we're really frustrated that no, salespeople aren't using our wonderful content. Let's create a mechanism uh, sort of a, a cable set box, if you will, for, for programming to distribute all that content. So it evolved in a very tactical way. Now we fast forward to 2020 and COVID has exposed a lot of synapse problems uh, that we've been glossing over because our organizations are so siloed and our customers that we're selling to, particularly with B2B and broad uh, product portfolios, don't really care about our silos. They don't care about marketing. They don't care about sales. They don't care about, they want results. And they want, um, they want you to combine the various capabilities that you've got into something that's more valuable. So that's, that's something that we see. And I think we really, we, we really bonded a lot on that. So that's sort of the history part. Are we on the same page there? I want to get to the next part, which is what does customer centered really mean? Yeah. I mean, we're definitely on the same page. And I mean, I think customer centricity for me means, I think, first of all, I, starting to understand like, like high level, how the customer has changed, right? Like in general, what are their expectations when they're engaging uh, with a company? And I think one of the, 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 the keywords that, 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 I mean, we've been talking about with Showpad over the last eight, nine years is like customers are looking for convenience. It needs to be easy to do business with you. It needs to be valuable to engage. Yeah. You need to learn something. I think, and that, that's an interesting one, I think, and, and we're going to highlight this in our uh, Transform Customer Conference uh, in October, is empathy is going to be something customers are also increasingly going to demand from the companies they engage with. And I think like that is definitely something that COVID uh, uh, that, that definitely surfaced. Uh, so convenience, value, 
empathy and you need to enable your commercial organization to deliver that at scale. And, and that, that's really where, where sales enablement or revenue enabled, growth enablement, however you want to call it, is about. So this is where I want us to start walking really slow together. Uh, so I agree with everything that, uh, that, that Louis shared. I think the difficulty that we have is step number one, and this is what Louis is going to do a great job of focusing on for us, is let's make sure that we have the right technical platform that can pull many of these uh, content assets together that can be mass configured based on the need that the salesperson uh, identifies to match with a, a scenario of a customer, right? That's sort of like a, a technical design that somebody needs to have instead of just drop buying piecemeal individual parts. Is that fair, Louis? Because I want to get into some of the other parts, but I'll just make sure that I'm speaking for you correctly. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I would say like one of the, the, the key pillars of, of sales enablement is really that as, as an organization, you have the technology that allows sellers to extremely easily find the, 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 the stuff they need to, to engage with a customer, gives them the tools to personalize and ultimately deliver value to a customer. So like that is one of the, the, the fundaments of, of sales enablement, absolutely. Yeah, so one, one of the things that we, we've got to be able to do is we have to recognize that there are, you know, depending on what definition of sales enablement you use, there are between uh, 100 and 600 suppliers out there that quote unquote help you enable sales. Uh, do you want to be in the business of trying to uh, stitch together a lot of those things or do you want to have one platform? And that that's becomes part of the value add or the role that Showpad needs to play for us or companies like Showpad. The yeah. second thing then is okay, well, there's people involved. So we have the, we've talked about the technology, then there's the people involved, and this is where things become challenging. This is one of the things that we've identified in terms of our, our, our research is that there needs to be a new role we call an orchestrator. And maybe it's says the next evolution of sales enablement from uh, the VP of broken things uh, to an orchestrator. And an orchestrator conducts, and they, they've got a, a lot of groups to connect because it's unlikely, in order to be customer-centered, it's unlikely because no one department has uh, a monopoly on what the voice of the customer is. So how are you going to stitch together all of those different perspectives because the consulting department has one view of cu customers. Training has one view of customers. Sales has one view of customers. Marketing has one view of customers. Customer success has one view of customers. And they're all right, but also they need to be stitched together because unfortunately customers and our human beings, I like the empathy part, and we need to be able to factor in that uh, how that all comes together. So that's sort of the next part that we want to highlight is you have the need for a, there's a definite need to have a more integrated technology approach, which is what, uh, Showpad's working on. But what I want to transition to is what are we finding in terms of the role? There's a, a lot of flavors of sales enablement out there in terms of going back to sort of the observation about um, what's the dominant and what's the recessive gene. What are you seeing in terms of uh, the type of role that's the most effective bringing to life the full benefits of your platform inside your customer base? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. So, so um, I, mean, I mean, every year in our conferences and all of our events, like we do a poll check, like, like which departments are like, what's the role um, like the audience is in, right? And what we see is that like one trend, increasingly we have sales enablement professionals 
uh, in the audience. So for example, last year, 50% of our transform audience were sales enablement around 20, 29 marketing and the rest was all over the place. Eh? Um, if you ask me the question, like in which department uh, are they the most effective? Then, I mean, the, the, my answer would be, I would say the companies where sales enablement has true executive coverage. Eh? Because if sales enablement is run from the marketing organization, but if it has not enough buy-in or not enough executive coverage in the other departments, it will remain a content-focused product, right? A content-focused rollout where, yes, you'll have a much better tool to deliver content, uh, but it doesn't always deliver the results you ultimately want to achieve. Because for me, sales enablement is about making sure that your customer-facing employees can have much more valuable, engaging discussions with their customers. Content helps, but you need much more than, than content to do that. Companies that, that truly have executive buy-in at the C-level, where the CEO stands behind the project and enables uh, their, their, I would say their leaders to truly like, drive change throughout the different departments, those are the ones where I truly see amazing results. Because those are the, the, the customers that understand that sales enablement doesn't start from a content perspective, from a training perspective, but it starts from the customer. And it starts from all of the programs that you should develop to really enable a commercial organization to be successful. It's about content. It's about training. It's about coaching. Coaching is one of the most underestimated elements of sales enablement. Like Scott, you were just talking about people. Like you're ultimately talking about enabling people to do something, to do a job better. And I mean, coaching is still one of the most effective tactics we have, yet so underdeveloped in many organizations we work with. But I mean, to answer your question, we see no correlation when it's in marketing it's better when it's a sales enablement that's better like no when c-level supports it and really drives it then there's real change that happens so you're you're really triggering a thought here and this might be a a, a deep thought but um there's a real interesting lens on this so having been in this space for for, for quite some time i've heard more or less two reactions to the word enablement the overwhelming majority of reaction I get is an association with um, enabling an alcoholic, right? You're, it's a very negative connotation, and the, it, it's more associated with, I'm here to do the job for you because you can't do your job. That's one lens of enablement. However, I also talk to people who get energized by the word enablement and it's more like, um, say, a city planner or um, a network architect or a business architect or somebody like that who says, we're going to design the right system so that people can thrive. So what I'm asking you, uh, I guess, is do you see that sort of dichotomy uh, and wouldn't that map to why you need to get CEO level a, a buy-in that says this isn't about fixing our reps? This is about a company-wide initiative to change the totally. system so it's easier to do business? Totally. I mean, I, th I think the, the, the I, I th sales enablement is a wonderful profession. It's a wonderful category. I think it doesn't have the, 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 the right name, but I mean, we could probably spend a few hours just talking about that. Because, yeah, right. Like, the, there's definitely a connotation to enablement that limits the, 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 the scope, the potential. I mean, the impact of what, what, what sales enablement, as we define it, uh, has I mean, I mean absolutely so I think there's definitely an opportunity in the market to, uh, to to make a big change here. So help help some of our listeners. So I, I think most people have heard 
hey, go get executive sponsorship. Well, for your most successful customers, like keep, keep have in mind some of your most success, su- yeah. successful customers, the, the people who are getting breakthrough results from leveraging your platform. Yeah. Describe for me what that executive sponsor actually really looks like and how do they see through their mind's eye what sales enablement actually is? I mean, so, 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 so let me share you some, some real life examples, right? And I Perfect. Think- Typically, what we what we see. So let's start to talk about some 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 customers who have a high level of digital maturity. Um, let's say, for example, uh, customers in the medical device industry. Like, like around a third of our revenue comes from that industry. So like we have a lot of uh, FaceTime and executives there. I mean, they've invested a tremendous amount of resources in making sure that that all of their digital initiatives, their websites, their campaigns, their marketing automation, their CRM, like all run smoothly, very sophisticated, very integrated. And, and in the end, like those companies are able to deliver a very strong, like unified orchestrated digital experience. Yeah? I would say that the, the, the executives that really get it, like then make, um, I would say a comparison with, with, with their sales team, like with a sales force of sometimes 10,000s of people where they absolutely control the message with, with, with their website, with their campaigns, with their emails like they actually realize that they have very little control on what those salespeople are doing. And, and a lot of the, the, the I would say, the insight in, in how important sales enablement is starts with that, is the fact that you have a huge channel out there, uh, your, your sales organization, your service organization, and that you have no control or even like, and even more important, no idea what they're doing. And uh, I think the, the executives, like which we have the best results with, the best engagements, like truly get that. They truly understand that the moment that you start to really see and understand what a seller is doing, how they're communicating with, with, with a customer, and that you can use that data to optimize your whole go-to-market approach, like, like that's when magic happens. Like, like the, the, that's mm-hmm. when the true transformation can be driven. So that, that uh, I mean, that's one example. That's yeah, that's a great example. So what do, you, what do you think is your responsibility as Showpad to help make those light bulbs go off? Or do you wait, or, or is it your responsibility to wait for uh, your clients to arrive at that aha moment of this is what they need to do? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean it, it's definitely our responsibility to, to, to do that, right? And I, and I think like ultimately, we'll, we'll all figure it out, right? But I think it's, it's uh, definitely our role as, as a vendor, as a technology company, as a thought leader, to 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 train at the market on uh, how or like learn the market how like modern uh, go-to-market orchestration should look like, how you should enable a commercial organization in uh, in, a, in a modern way, how how you should leverage data coming from your customer conversations and translate that into messaging content, uh, training, coaching, whatever it may be. So yeah, I, like I feel we have a big responsibility to 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 do that. Absolutely. Yeah. So. My last question here in terms of the main body before we get to our closing comments and our wrap up is uh, where do you, you know, or, or do you want to speak for Showpad as a whole, see sales enablement heading? And I'm going to add some caveats to this. I'm going to add some caveats to where do you see it heading if you were talking to me as an investor? So yeah. a big, strong forward lean, or where would you uh, tell me that where it's heading if you were talking to somebody that hasn't made the leap yet and made it strategic? Yeah. Yeah, it's um, so. So I think first of all, the, the future of sales enablement is is not sales enablement. I think I would start with uh, uh, with saying that I, I believe sales enablement is first of all moving to that that broader concept of enabling uh, a whole commercial organization. Uh, basically, 
um, every customer facing employee uh, needs to be helped and uh, needs to be orchestrated and knowing uh, what they say to a customer uh, what they personalize for a customer how they engage a customer when they engage a customer all with the purpose of optimizing that that conversation uh, i think Sales enablement for me is not about how many meetings you have, where a lot of the technology we've seen in the last 10 years has focused on, like um, efficiency, like efficiency metrics, so many meetings, so many calls, so many touch points. Like for me, that doesn't matter. For me, it's like the quality of those conversations. Mm -hmm. For me, sales enablement directly contributes and should be measured based upon how it improves the quality of those conversations. And I mean, in the end, what is more important for a business than their conversations with customers? Like it, it is the essence, it is the lifeblood of every company out there. And I think the big plus, the big bonus you will get with sales enablement, or and again, the name doesn't really matter, is when you have technology, that becomes the system of engagement, the place where like your people engage with a customer, where they have conversations, then you also become the system of intelligence. And, and back to the first point of our first discussion we ever had, like customer intelligence for me, yeah. like will be in, in a huge way be driven by that engagement software, the presentations you do, the in-person meetings you have, the collaboration you have through email. By analyzing that, you'll finally for the first time will have a centralized source where customer intelligence can go to be used by marketing, service, trading, whatever it is. And I think, I mean, that's where the future of enablement really lives because when you have the intelligence, and eh, today we have technology to then build extremely smart capabilities through AI machine learning that can start to coach organizations in, in an automatic way based on, on uh, yeah, on smart on, on, on smart algorithms. And I think like if I would be talking to an investor, uh, that's the story that I would tell. Let, let me parse that out a little bit. So there's a, there was a lot there. So one thing if, is. Uh, if you're a listener, you can download and watch the uh, Sales Enablement as a Crossroads, the very first webinar that we did on, on the research. And we outlined sort of a migration path, if you will. The first thing is stop being the, the VP of broken things, if you will, and start becoming an orchestrator. Move from a doer to an orchestrator. That's goal number one, and that's a big shift in, to begin with. The second thing is move to be... Uh, more focused. So we broke down sales enablement into concentrations. One is talent enablement. One is message enablement. One is pipeline enablement. One is organizational enablement to get to the ultimate goal, which we, we refer to as commercial enablement. Now, picking that up on, on that to piggyback where Louis is heading in terms of describing it to investors we actually worked with TCV. So we've got a podcast um, with uh, Kunal that you can listen to to talk about this concept of commercial ratio. But the investors that uh, are investing in your company are frustrated with the waste that's in sales and marketing. And the reason that that waste exists is exactly like uh, Louis mentioned, it's a lack of orchestration. So in order to get that orchestration uh, more clear, we've co-created a metric that we call commercial ratio that's been deployed in 58 companies now. And what, what I'm highlighting is these are two ways of arriving at the same concept. Louis talked about it in terms of how we work and that we need technologies to make how we work better. TCB is looking at it more from an economic standpoint or a, a, an income statement standpoint, but really they're the same thing. 
So I, I want to just highlight those, those, those two points is how they're, how they're interrelated. Now, I think the next question then, Louis, is how do you, uh, where, where are people today? Um, the flavors of sales enablement exist so often are, are all over the place. Yeah. Uh, how do you talk to, say, that doer and get them to be the orchestrator? What's their opportunity for themselves? Yeah. I mean, I think, first of all, like, you, need to, you need to identify the executive who cares. Yeah. Like, who's the executive who cares about this problem? But like, yes, the CMO in a way, but like they will always look at the world through their marketing lens. Yes, the, the head of sales. Um, so find the executive that, that cares and is engaged or motivated to solve that problem. And, and some, some organizations are lucky to have a chief revenue officer. Some organizations are lucky to have a VP sales enablement that reports to the CEO. But it, with the lack of a, of a chief revenue officer or a VP sales enablement, then I mean, often it's a CEO, honestly, who cares about it. So yeah. um, like he or she needs to be engaged. And, and, and I think the moment you have executive coverage for that, and I mean, for example, with children, like we do uh, generate uh, thought leadership for our customers, for, uh, for our prospects in the market to help them do that. Right? Because like that is definitely one of the big challenges today. And again, I do believe with COVID that um, a lot of CEOs has, have now been exposed to that, uh, to that weakness and will in an accelerated fashion um, go towards more integrated, more orchestrated uh, go-to-market organizations. And, and so I think that is definitely a great trend. And uh, I mean, well, once you have executive coverage, then yeah, it's, it's a matter of uh, creating a sales enablement charter, identifying what it means for you as an organization, and, and in a real smart way, start to execute around it. But uh, without the executive coverage, I mean, we see that with our customers, it is really hard to, to, to truly transform revenue organizations to the place where they have to be. Awesome. So this is a great conversation. As, as always, we cover a lot of ground really, really fast. I hope you can tell uh, Louis' enthusiasm is, uh, is boundless. And you can also tell we could talk for probably three <laughs> hours straight, but no one will listen to us. So uh, what I want to do here is just get at the, you know, we had a, we had a conversation. What were some of the things that you, what were some of the highlights that you took away from our conversation and what, what should people do with it? And then we'll turn over to Brian to wrap up for if you're an orchestrator following the checkbox of what you can do about it. So I'll go first, you know, to, to, to model out what, what, what to do for it for you here. Here's, here's sort of what's the, the image that's painting in my, in my head, uh, Louis, is I think we need to create a blueprint or a guidebook or something like that, that breaks down, uh, into into components that says here's the techno here's your desired technology in state because I don't think yep. many IT organizations are doing a good job of laying out the requirements and when we look at uh, many businesses today it's just a spaghetti of lots of technologies bolted on top of on on things and just uh, having clarity there would be valuable that'd be one thing I think we could do a better job of as a as a community. Uh, the second thing, and I'll let you react to all this stuff later. The second thing would be, what about the people? Uh, it's going to be, in, w w everybody's going to throw their ha hands up and say, I can't fight this if we're looking at it through the organizational silo lens. Mm -hmm. But what are operating models or new ways that we can create coordination across multiple departments? I've seen time and time and time again that the creation of committees that aren't say no, they're actually designed to create consensus across multiple departments. 
because it's unrealistic to think any one department's going to have the complete view of the customer or the complete view of all the metrics. How do we take the best of all those departments? So it's a people part. A third part would be information. There's so much data that we collect about content uh, or tracking sales behaviors, et cetera, but are we rolling it up to be meaningful or is it just noise? So how are we organizing and making sure that there is a coordination across that so we have the right kinds of dashboards at the right levels of the organization? And then finally, process. If we're gonna be talking about uh, coordinating a commercial system, we've gotta be able to learn to talk about a business process. as something that, um, you know, Louie, you get, to, you get to work with a lot of different industries. I've been amazed at the life sciences and the manufacturing businesses how easy it is for them to talk about concepts like um, um, value stream analysis or um, you know, more coordinated, coordinated ways of, of working together. And you bring some of those concepts into other industries, they wanna you know, run you out with a pitchfork. So how do we create more uh, space to talk about business process that's more integrated rather than process to hold people individually accountable? So that was really what was on my mind as I was hearing you talk on, man, it would be really cool if we could create a, a layered blueprint, if you will, that highlighted those four parts. Those were my, my takeaways. No, and, and, and I mean, to, to, to build on it, I think like, like having such a guidebook would be like tremendously valuable for, I think for your listeners, for, I mean, basically anybody who's figuring out this, uh, this, this big challenge, right? I mean, the, the, the one thing that I would add and like something where we as, as, as Showpad want to contribute to the community is, I mean, put the companies out there on a stage who are doing it successfully. And I think there's definitely some out there, including with our, like with our, on our own platform, some of our existing customers. And like, we want to give them a stage. We want to, we want to make sure that they can inspire other companies on how to do it. Showpad definitely plays a big role in providing the technology and sharing a lot of our knowledge and, and thought leadership. Uh, but in the end, like we need to hear the customer stories. We need to see the successes. We need to see uh, customers coming out with case studies where they radically change the way how they measure commercial success. Right. And I think like your commercial ratio is, I think one really good, good example in that, uh, in that perspective. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, that, that's the thing that I would add, like, let's have those customers speak. Let's have our champions on a stage, share their story and inspire others to, uh, to do the same thing. I hear you. I, I want to, I, I think what will be valuable is um, what I've observed is that a lot of people put out their, their customers as reference points, but they're not really examples of where things are heading to. They're just examples of how well somebody used their platform to do onboarding or something like that. So I think it would be cool if we could complement that with some sort of maturity stage to say, here's your progression towards say commercial enablement or whatever you want to call it, and then plot out the course. So that way people would know, okay, well, I'm not ready to go all into what Louie and Scott are talking about right now, but let me get, get a baby step. So that way we frame out that we're not saying, you know, company X is the B with all and with all, but here's how they got started and moving away from doing the orchestration under the talent box, something like that. But I think, it, I think we need to create more, um, more of a standard if I don't mean standards, but more of a, a like what would be a good housekeeping seal of approval of what commercial uh, enablement looks like. Cause I, I noticed from my experience advocating the sales enablement role, it, um, it really didn't go the direction with a North Star that I, 
that I thought it would be, uh, a lot of people globbed onto the term and it became very, very murky. So how about you? What, what uh, insights did you get from our conversation? And then I'll, I'll piggyback on what your reactions were. Cool. I mean, I mean the, 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 like definitely learned a ton from our conversations, right? I think, um, the, like definitely, I, I think one of the, the theses you shared with me is that like the, the whole topic around customer intelligence, right? Is, mm -hmm. like, like who actually really gets it, like who owns it. And, and for me as well, like the, the, that reconfirmed a lot of the, the, the thinking we have that, that, I mean, Look, it all starts with customer intelligence. If you do not fix that problem, like forget about sales enablement, forget about everything. And so, uh, I think that's definitely one uh, one thing that uh, yeah that, that I really liked about our conversation. Um, I think uh, I mean looking at your research that 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 you've done, I think again it comes at a really good time. Ever you're asking the hard questions, and and I think uh, we need people in this industry who ask the tough questions, who are not afraid to, uh, to, to question stuff. And, and I think uh, sales enablement is definitely at that point where tough questions need to be asked right? because uh, like uh, an unfortunate reality is, is that a lot of sales enablement leaders don't see the success they, they hoped. Eh? And that has nothing to do with the technology they use or, or how hard they work, but it has to do again with that executive coverage, looking at the problem from a customer's perspective versus a pure content perspective and a siloed perspective. So I think that's, uh, again, it reconfirmed a lot of uh, the, the thinking we had. So great, great insights and great conversations from that side. One of the things that I'd love to do more of is I, the concept that you shared about um, let's be, let's create the record of um, information about conversations. Yeah. The thing that sparked there to me is the, the whole value of NASDAQ of the New York Stock Exchange is because all that exchange is happening within that umbrella, the data that um, the market has about what's actually happening informs all of that to occur. And to me, it's sort of the same thing in a mycosm, right? Let's take the ecosystem that we've got, let's put a lot more focus on where the exchange of value happens and figure out what our, you know, for lack of a better word, our exchange rates, what messages resonate with whom, and yep. what people are valuing. And then we have that information um, sort of like a, you know, sort of a stock exchange, but a conversation exchange or a value exchange. That's, that concept really resonates a lot with me, Louie, and I'd love to uh, work with you to help make yes. it more concrete. Let's do that. Um, okay, so we're at the, that, at the wrap-up part. One of the things that I'm excited about is um, uh, Louie's invited me to participate in their Transform uh, conference. So what I'm going to be doing is something I've never done before. So I'm very excited, uh, very excited to do this. I love to be challenged, even though it's going to be 10,000 people there. Uh, I'm sure it'll be great. That's um, what I'm telling myself, my positive uh, affirmations. And I'm going to take the content and the research that we've done all post-COVID and then challenge myself to apply it to the technical platform that we've got to try to do as best as I can in 30 minutes or less, stitch together some of those ideas that we shared in that blueprint. So I'm really excited that uh, he's willing to take that risk of do something different on it. But uh, I, like I said, I hope it'll be fine. But why don't you tell us a little bit more about the whole Transform program? Sure. Thank you. It's um, it's our yearly um, customer conference that uh, so we started transform. I think the, the the second year after founding the company. So so like I think customer conferences are one of the most important things 
you should do as a company, like bring your customers together, share thought leadership, have them share their stories. And I think like that same concept where we bring together, again, um, Shoba thought leaders, uh, industry thought leaders like you, Scott, a lot of our customers, um, some inspiring keynote speakers we bring in together for two days. We've been doing that in person for the last uh, seven years, like now for the first time, it's, it's virtual, it's free. And uh, I mean, it's a place for uh, yeah, anybody interested in sales and marketing transformation to, to, to learn. And uh, we have some really exciting speakers, lots of our global customers who, who are going to share their stories. Uh, so yeah, it, it will be fun. It, it, it's, it's an opportunity for people to learn and to, to get insights from the industry's best uh, minds. So I'm very excited for that. Excellent. Well, I'm looking forward to being part of it. I'm hopeful that uh, Insider Nation will uh, take you guys up on that offer and participate. So hopefully we'll see many of our listeners there. So Brian, we're at the point now to wrap this up, to make, uh, to connect the dots with uh, orchestrators. Uh, uh, Louis, as as you may know, we've defined six criteria of what makes an orchestrator and Brian's going to walk through those and connect the dots for our listeners about what they should take away from this podcast. Brian, you're up. Thanks, Scott. And and thanks, Louis. And uh, there's a lot of entry points. You guys covered a lot of ground, but one that kept popping up, I guess you could call it the, the, uh, the dominant gene here back to us. our um, our pea story. So listening to the friars, you guys uh, uh, observe the peas. And I think the one that I'm going to call out here is the, the dominant gene is this idea of executive buy-in. So from an investor and commercial ratio perspective, Scott talked about how investors view sales and marketing and how 58 companies have deployed the commercial ratio to look for systemic waste in their sales and marketing or commercial uh, engines. And Louis kept talking about the most successful sales enablement functions are those that have executive involvement, not where they sit in the org chart if it's marketing or sales. That, and so when you look at that, how do you get there? Well, using our six, six criteria of an orchestrator, first you have to guide the narrative by confronting reality. Louis shared that the importance here is around this customer intelligence view. It depends on how you define reality and why not use customers as a way to define the reality? Everybody says they know their customer, but do they really? And when you look at how COVID uh, is, is showing some uh, weaknesses and some opportunities for growth, isn't it time to use your customers to simplify? From there, moving to the second attribute, which is, which is prioritizing the right goals at the right moments. Because there's a lot of waste in the ecosystem, the commercial ratio and what investors are looking for highlights that there's areas for improvement. It has to be focused on, and and the path forward to what to prioritize has to be focused on being easy to do business with. And Louis gave the great example of the medical device company and how they're orchestrating the digital transformation because of the goals that they're focused on working back from the customer. The third attribute here is driving results by design, not by effort. In other words, customers don't see marketing versus sales versus services. Louis talked about it. They see it as one company and it has to be orchestrated. And that's where sales enablement can start really driving the value and listening to what customers are saying in order to elevate their role and have that executive buy-in. Finally, the fourth one is around focusing on, on mission and goals, the quality of the conversations, building the listening engine building the real-time NASDAQ to, to actually provide intelligence in that sales conversation, and then unlocking energy to create momentum 
helping salespeople get that momentum in the sales conversation by simplifying and actually coaching them in the context of the customer conversation. And that will lead to catalyzing change. And catalyzing change happens when you have that executive buy-in. And that executive buy-in has to be earned. It's not just given. And so with that, you have to have the courage to find the person who cares. And Louie talked about finding the executive that cares, but also who wants to act because they're not going to come at it from their, their siloed lens of it's a sales or marketing or service challenge. It's all of those. In fact, it's the customer view. So who has the courage to act? Who has the courage to get engaged? And who wants to be, you know, back to an earlier podcast episode, be heroic in order to, uh, to be heroic to drive the right value. So that's the recap for you as sales enablement leaders. Uh, I want to thank Louie for his time. Thanks as always, Scott, for the ideas and, and uh, for drawing out this idea of what it means to orchestrate and integrate uh, technology plus customers plus marketing and sales. And I hope uh, you continue to give us the feedback as you always do, Insider Nation. Take the time to send us a note, drop us a line, and we'll see you on the next one. For Scott and Louie, take care. Thanks for joining us. To become an insider and amplify your journey, make sure you've subscribed to our show. If you have an idea for what Scott and Brian can cover in a future podcast or have a story to share, please email them at engage at insidese.com. You can also connect with them online by going to insidese.com, following them on Twitter, or sending them a LinkedIn request.